0: Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. This is the premiere episode of Jew in the City's Season 2, Nahum Siegel Network Season 4. And it's interesting, around this time last year I was gearing up for becoming a radio show host. I thought that I could do it, but I didn't know if I could do it. And after a year of doing this now, I feel like a seasoned pro and it's kind of an interesting thing to keep in mind um, as we are sitting in this time of year you know, with the the days of awe, the Yom Naraim coming up that um, when we want to become something new and it seems like something that's far off from us the more that we do it, even if we don't quite think that we can the more that we practice it again and again we can become that thing that we aspire to be um, but so too it's an important thing it's a double-edged sword if we go down a path that maybe is not so ideal The more we repeat, the less ideal things again and again, the more that that sort of solidifies itself into our being, into our personality. Um, But I'm happy to say that um, I'm feeling pretty good and uh, pretty comfortable as a radio show host. And we're doing something kind of special today. You know, they have Bring Your Daughter to Work Day, um, but since my work is my life and since I work on my couch, there's not really a way to bring my daughters to work, and so I thought maybe it might be fun to bring my daughters to my radio show day. And so today, my uh, two daughters will be joining us. So first, today we have for the first part of the show is my 10-year-old daughter, Adina. Zina, say good morning. Good morning. Got a little closer to the mic. Good morning. Good morning. You might have seen Adina from other Jew in the City episodes about baking challah and um, uh, family planning. There were some videos that Adina was featured in. Um, the idea to bring Adina on the show happened over the summer. Um, thank God my kids are great kids and unique in every way and, you know, do well in school and, you know, uh, fashionable dressers. Kind of two different size, more brainy, more, you know, uh into uh, maybe material things. They both are, uh, they all have, you know, a little bit of every area. But what interests Adina most is fashion. And over the summer, she was getting very into fashion apps on her iPad. And, you know, I'm a big believer that we live in the world and we can't pretend that there aren't other things out there. And within reason, um, I'm okay with my kids sort of knowing about things that might not be exactly for us, but understanding and appreciating that maybe non-kosher food tastes good, even if we don't eat it. Understanding that, you know, not modest fashions are attractive, even if we don't wear them and I didn't want to make it like, you know, you can't touch this. And so Adina was using a lot of fashion apps over the summer and creating different outfits. And after a while, you know, part of me wondered, is there a point where Adina starts to feel like, oh, shucks, there's nothing here for me. There's no way for me to express my style as a, you know, a tzini, as a modest dressing orthodox young girl. And then I remember that there was this book that had recently been published um, called Adina My Design Sketchbook that was specifically written and created for girls, probably very similar for Mayadine, who have this interest in fashion and don't have an outlet um, to express it uh, within modest fashion. It was uh, written by a woman named Jocheva Neidel, who was born in South Africa, raised in Southern California. She studied fashion design and illustration at Otis Parson art institute in L.A. and worked in the L.A. garment industry for many years and now she lives with her husband and children in Ramat Beit Shemesh, Israel and Yocheved is with us on the line this morning. Yocheved, I should say good afternoon because you're in Israel but thank you so much for joining us. Sure, it's my pleasure. I'm excited. So, um, you know, Adina and I are going to kind of tag team on the questions today since I figure, you know, I'll maybe train her to be a, a radio uh, show host this morning. So Adina has the first question that she'd like to ask that's you.
1: great. Okay, that's great.
0: Um, when did you begin um, getting, interesting, get, getting interested in fashion?
1: You know, when I was, I want to say when I started to go to high school, actually I went to a special arts high school Um, because I always loved drawing and I always loved illustrating, but I wanted to do something more practical. Um, I was concerned if I was doing, like, only painting and drawing, that it wasn't, like, always easy to make a living in it, so I chose fashion. So when I was in high school, in ninth grade, I started going to a special high school where I could study art half day and academic half day. And Mm -hmm. um, that's when I started getting into it.
0: And so my guess is since you went to a special art high school, you did not grow up observant, or...?
1: So I grew up um, kind of traditional. We went to Chabad Day School, which was a big part of who I am. Not that I'm Chabad now, but I went to Chabad Day School. It was very positive for me until ninth grade. And in ninth grade, I just started, like, itching for something else, you know? Um, And that's when I started exploring there. And and then now I'm I'm observant, but it it took me a while for my journey to lead to where I am today.
0: And how would you say... um So, like, what came, meaning, like, your interest in fashion, you have the traditional background, but your interest in fashion sort of came first, and then the modest dressing came later. Is that sort of the order? Yeah,
1: modesty wasn't such, I think, first of all, the world was a lot different when I was studying when I was younger, Um, so modesty has changed a lot. The world's relationship with modesty has changed a lot since I was studying, Um, but as I became more religious and especially after I became a mother, it's one thing to, to take things on for myself, but it's another thing to have teenage daughters and want to help them relate to modesty and, and give them a way that they can express themselves and find their voice to relate to modesty, not just because they grew up that way, but because I want them to see the beauty to it and connect to it on their own terms.
0: Beautiful. Um, and Adina has another question for you. Um, okay. What, what... Why did you um, decide to make the Adina Design sketchbook?
1: It was a question. Why did I decide to make the sketchbook? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, so I actually have a daughter who, like you, was, is interested in drawing and exploring fashion and developing ideas. And we also brought a lot of these apps and more like the books, the sketching books, into our house. And I just became, like, I wasn't all conscious at first, but after all I started to think, you know what, I... We teach our kids how beautiful Tania is, and we teach them how much richness there is. And then when it comes to toys, like, I never had a toy to give her that would, that would reinforce the things that I was teaching her. So um, I really wanted her to know that she could draw, and she could be as creative, and she could express herself and come up with all these amazing ideas, but she could do it within a framework that reflected how, how we live and how we dress. Did
0: that mm-hmm. answer your question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. And I think you're curious about how the name, since your name is Adina, how how the name of the yeah. book. Yeah. So how, um, was it your daughter, Adina, who is the one that inspired you? So it's actually a little bit of a funny story because I have two daughters, Rech Hashem, and um,
1: I work very closely with Rav Yaakov Haber of Mosaic Press to develop the idea of the book, and he actually came up with the name. He wanted a name that... Um, that reflected a dignity, but you know, girls, girls really aren't into lectures about sneas. They're like most girls are eyes like they turn off as soon as you start with that one. So we just we went for a more of a subtle approach. There's no lecturing in the book. It's very, it's just about a fresh approach to modesty. But we skip the whole lecture thing. There doesn't even mention the word sneas or anything. So Adina, um, meaning delicate or refined, is is a message we wanted to give over. And he actually chose the name, but it's a joke between my girls because. You know, one girl's like, well, obviously, I'm mommy favorite. She named a book after me. Um,
0: but it really it wasn't actually my call. Got it. And, um, you know, a lot of people that we speak to here that we interview are people that kind of are, are doers. They had an idea. They went out and did it. So can you walk us through a little bit of what was the path, kind of from the moment of conception, like I, this product doesn't exist, so I will make it now? How, how long did it take from that idea to the book going into print, how long a process was that?
1: You know, it was probably, it was a slow start because I didn't have much time at first. I was a stay-at-home mom for many years. I stopped working to stay home with my kids. And as my kids got older, I had more time. So I would say it was a process of maybe up to two years. Um, And there was a lot of what you were speaking about, like just not knowing what the next step was, but just trying something new and trying something out until you until you, um, till I got to the final product, there were a, a lot of different iterations. Having to see um, what girls wanted, you know, it was at first it was what I thought girls wanted, and then I, but that doesn't really matter, you know. It's really about giving girls their voice and having them relate to something. Um, so there was a lot of speaking to teenagers and speaking to girls and iterating and coming up with different approaches until we kind of came up with a character that we felt had the dignity we wanted to represent. Um, but really, the girls could relate to her at the same time. And then, you know, even just the the process of developing and producing a book, that in itself, the technicalities without which, thank God, I was led to Mosaic Press and they handled that, um, was in itself a bit of a you know try, trial and error with a lot of different stages to it.
0: Now, what uh, for someone who hasn't seen this book yet, can you give us an idea of what they'll find when they open it up?
1: Yeah, the book is made up of seven different sections. In each section, the girl is taught a different skill or technique. Um, It'll be like drawing denim or illustrating sequins or how to shade a face. A lot of step-by-step, really simplified how-tos. And um, along with that, there's a lot of full-color illustrations, which I did, to kind of give the girls an inspiration really to a lot of those illustrations are really just to break the boundaries of what people's misconceptions of what smears has to be, you know? Um, and for me, it was also an experience of redefining, like, how far could you push smears and still be be okay, which apparently you can push it pretty far is what I'm hearing. Um, so, it, And then there's a sticker page, and there's, then there's a lot of starter sketches which are, figures for the girls to draw their own clothes and their own ideas on, and a lot of practice pages to practice the techniques that they're taught throughout the book.
0: And what age group is this book appealing to most, do you think?
1: So we say 8 to 100 on the cover, but I do find, like, if it has to be a core group, I would say 9 to 12 would be, like, the real core group.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and we heard there's some exciting news. There's a second book on its way? There is another book, which... Um, you know, after
1: I, we didn't know what the response of this book would be, but thank God, it's really, um, you know, fell time distributing the book, and it's just, it's overwhelming. As as you know, when the book came out, my publisher was like, get going on the second one, because people are going to want it. So um, the second one is right now in, you know, they're working on the graphics that we hope to have it out by Hanukkah. Hmm. Um, and it's just more of the same structure, teaching the girls different tools and techniques to, Come up with their own their own illustrations that they can feel good and proud about. Different figures and uh, different different characters through
0: the book. Now the one thing, one problem I could say got created by this is that now my daughter Adina wants the clothes that she is designing in this book. Is there any? Um, yeah, I hear that. Outfits, I hear that a lot. <laughs> the outfits are so amazing. Um, what about? Would you ever uh, get into design? I feel like she wants to go now from the pictures. She's right, Adina. You want? Yeah. <laughs> Any any idea of going into production ever, or is that just? <laughs> so I, I've
1: actually been toying with how to expand. I didn't realize when I started this, just like there's a there's a serious void in the um within our world. I, I feel like there's kind of a new awareness waking up. There's a lot of like modest bloggers coming out, and there's a lot of like awareness of clothing line coming out that girls can relate to and that sort of thing. So I have had thoughts to go and take into direction, maybe just take a few shirts from the. From the book and manufacture those. I'm still leaning towards um, the toy aspect, because I feel like no one else is doing that, and I and I just feel it's really important for the girls to to have that option to express themselves. Because it's a more of an active. Of course, getting dressed is active, but to create something on that level and giving them the framework with which to do that. I don't I don't see that anywhere else yet. So that's why I'm sticking towards the toys for now, but. I'm definitely, in the back of my head, I'm thinking about making some things real because I do get a lot of people asking me.
0: It's interesting. If you talk about toy aspects, another thing could be, you know, even a, a doll to dress up in different modest outfits because mostly what, you know... You have in the Barbie genre, which is problematic, you know, <laughs> proportionally yeah. for other reasons. There's not so many uh, dress-up, you know, type of things that girls could dress up. But one thing that I would say also, this highlighted for me is that yes, there is a plethora of modest bloggers out there, and there's you know a bunch of clothing lines popping up for women. But I realize that for the girls' space, there's for not the so girls. many, you know, uh, girl outfits. Now, yeah, Dina, what true. is this one? There's a certain dress you've been wanting me to get. Tell me what.
1: I wanna, I wanted to get oh, um, a sure so cute. <laughs> yeah. I wanted
0: What's to get a in fake here? Jean, I wanted to get a fake jean dress, but my mother said that there's probably not gonna be one that would cover my knees. Yeah, so we've been looking everywhere. She had this idea oh, she wanted I hear, it. yeah,
1: it's true. And it's, it's even more important for our girls in a way because um, a, a parents can be creative, they have more resources available to them, but and the girls the, who they dress, how they dress it's so much a part of How they present themselves and see themselves, um, it's important for girls to feel good in the clothes that they wear. And really feel like it's a reflection of who they are. So I I see it. I really see it. It's something to think about.
0: Well, we're so excited for your second book to come out during Hanukkah. And, Nadina, do we already have an idea now for a Hanukkah present for you? Yeah, okay, She's, she already knows that. That's going to be one of her presents. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing to see that you're offering this. Uh, ser- it's really, I believe, a service to the Jewish people to give girls a way to express themselves. And um, we look forward to uh, watching uh, your continued success, and uh, we'd love to have you back on Thank to you. hear about your next project.
1: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to the show. It was really nice to talk to you, Nadina.
0: Pleasure, and shana tovah. Yeah.
1: Shana Tova to you as well.
0: Bye. And up next, we are speaking to a Orthodox female scientist. You know, wants the idea to interview Yochevet about fashion and how she used her interest in fashion to create the Adina My Design sketchbook happened and my my Adina was going to be on the show being the mother who is constantly trying to be fair to my children even though they'll tell you that nothing is ever fair. um, I wondered what we could do to bring my uh, 12-year-old daughter Meira onto the show to co-host. Meira, say good morning. Um, And Ma'era is interested in science, and so I wondered what scientist could we bring in? She's not so decided yet on what type of science she wants to go into, although she likes to build things, so we're thinking maybe something along the lines of engineering. Um, Over the summer... I saw a really cool video um, posted by a proud sister. The sister's name is Ida Roth, Ida Warden Roth. Roth. Uh, she uh, opened up the restaurant, an amazing restaurant, which unfortunately is no longer open, called Mason and Mug, but she's on the cutting edge of uh, cool Jewish culinary experiences. We had her on the show last year, and she was posting about her sister who had just won an award at Menashe University for Ph.D. candidates who were explaining their Ph.D. thesis in a – Three minute understandable way on a YouTube video because, you know, in our soundbite age, we expect even theses uh, in physics to be understandable in a few minutes in sound bites, and um, I, I wondered if we could have her on the show. We connected. She's all the way actually in Sydney, Australia, and I thought this would be the perfect woman for my daughter, Meira, to speak to and sort of hear about her journey um, and becoming a, a scientist um, growing up uh, as a firm woman and what that journey looked like. So, um, Frida Rothschild, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm actually and, in Melbourne, though I have to just correct oh, you on that Oh, Melbourne!
0: Oh, sorry about that. I should know better. Yeah, Melbourne. Melbourne. <laughs> I was actually in Melbourne and Sydney um a few months ago, so I should know the difference. But I'm sorry about that. I thought I saw that online that you're in, uh, Sydney. Okay, it's not at all the same. Sydney's got the beach. Melbourne's more dense. I know all about the different uh, communities from my fabulous friends there. <laughs> I messed that one up. Um, so Meera wanted. Meera wrote up a bunch of her own questions that she wanted to ask you this morning. So um, me or kick it off. Oh, great. Um, when did you decide that you wanted to become a scientist?
2: I think it was probably well into my degree. I think I started the degree, I don't know, I wanted to find something that I was interested in, and study it as much as possible, and then as I kind of kept going, I just was very naturally led down the path until, I suppose, I found myself starting my Ph.D., and I guess I'm thinking, oh, well, I guess I'm kind of a scientist already, so I'll just keep going. But it happened very slowly. I think I just felt, followed exactly what I was interested in, and here I am. So.
0: And so you so you yeah, grew I up think, Chabad yeah. in Melbourne. Um, now, okay. there's you know different communities have different things that they're accustomed to. Do most uh, Chabad women in Melbourne go to university at all, or were you already a little bit atypical doing that, or?
2: Um, It's definitely a mixed bag. I don't think I'm atypical exactly. Like, it's definitely not discouraged. But in my high school, it wasn't really an emphasis or, like, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't expected necessarily that everyone would go to university at all. Um, Mm -hmm. They kind of gave us a little bit of career counseling, um, but it wasn't necessarily pushed upon us at all. but over time, actually, a lot of girls in my class eventually headed into university and did degrees. So it's quite interesting, especially even the girls that are kind of more orthodox and even people that are, are on Schlechers have eventually gone back to do degrees. But I mean, definitely, I'm not atypical, but it's not not a given, that's
0: for sure. So you went in, so going wasn't so atypical, but what about going all the way to a Ph.D.? How about that? Is that even, that must be less typical?
2: Yeah, definitely less typical. I think that the idea of going to university is definitely for kind of getting um, a profession. So you become a lawyer, you do medicine, become a doctor, you do health sciences, especially, very popular, a speech therapist, a physiotherapist. So just becoming an academic, very unusual. And I still get a lot of, what are you going to do with that? Or what would you do with that kind of question? So people kind of can't wrap their head around why I would just kind of sit in university for, forever.
0: Well, I majored in philosophy, uh, yeah, so I got I'd those same questions myself. as well. <laughs> Meir's got another question for you. <laughs> um, not many women are scientists, and even less women are Orthodox Jews. Is there any challenges that come up from being an Orthodox Jewish woman? In science. In science.
2: Oh, 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 for sure. Well, first of all, there's challenges just being a woman. That's number one. Like, there's not a lot of women, and being a mother because I'm a mother. That was completely. I, I mean, I'm in physics as well, so physics especially. Women having children, PhD in physics. It was I'm the only person um, in my kind of group of um, students that is a mother. So that's very, very challenging, and it's kind of very isolating as well, because your problems are very unique. Being an Orthodox Jew, yeah, I was the only one. There was definitely a handful of Jews I met along the way, all male. Um, it was very challenging in the beginning when I started learning you know, astrophysics, um, learning about the age of the universe and things like that, and um, that kind of confused me a little bit, and it was a little conflicting. Um, and then there's also the things like practically speaking, you miss a lot of things. Even now I'm teaching and I have to take off because it's Rosh Hashanah. Um, and there isn't really a group of people that have the same experience as me, so it's tough. There's definitely a small challenges along the way. But the hardest thing is definitely just kind of being isolated in your experience and not really having a lot of people to relate to on either side of the fence. is very challenging, I have to say.
0: There's actually an organization, I'm not sure how active they are, of Jewish female scientists, which I believe is observant Jewish female scientists. Have, have you heard of them before? Or? I have not. That would be Okay, great. I'm going to hook you up with them after the show, Frida. So, I mean, they, they might be all over the world. <laughs> we happen you. to I have a that. woman who has a Ph.D. in biology in our shul, and um, my friend Maya Bialik has a Ph.D. in neuroscience, and she's quite observant. So um, maybe there, you guys can uh, get together and have some... Shared uh, women in science experiences. Do you think that um, you've had opportunities being in this space that's sort of unique to break down stereotypes about religious Jews?
2: Oh yes, definitely. I actually, you know, the first maybe five years of my career, I was very very quiet about my life, like very. I wasn't really comfortable with myself. But as I've kind of gotten more comfortable with myself. And that's definitely through confidence in my, like, abilities as a scientist, for sure. I've started opening up more and discussing, like, my, my upbringing with people. And a lot of people are fascinated. They've never met an Orthodox Jew, you know, in their life. And I've really kind of taken advantage of that. And it's, it's also, it's made me feel more comfortable. I'm not kind of going to be shy about myself anymore. So people are, like, completely fascinated by the things, my experience growing up, different from everybody. Um, and also small things like um, where I work, often people do trips overseas um, because of my commitments to my family. It's been hard for me, but bringing up things like, well, how am I going to keep kosher? And what am I going to do on Shabbos? And all these things are problems that no one's really had to encounter. So that's been interesting for me. And I think it's definitely eye-opening for a lot of the people that I meet.
0: And have you found that they've been open-minded and accommodating to your different religious needs?
2: Oh, 100%. When it's possible for them and when it's relevant, oh, yeah. Like, there's never been a point where they've kind of gone, "Mm, I don't know, you know. They've never made me feel uncomfortable about any aspect of um, the things that are kind of different to my life. Um, And probably a lot of that is because um, I'm one of the only ones that they have to accommodate. Mm
0: -hmm. So they
2: don't really have to change policy for me. It's very easy for them to just kind of accommodate small things here and there. Um, but I, I don't know how it would be if there was a bunch of us, um, how they kind of would implement it on a bigger scale. But because it's just me, they're kind of very, you know, they know me and they're very happy to kind of accommodate me here or there. So it great.
0: Okay, mir has got another question for you. Um, sure, what would you say is the greatest moment in your PhD experience?
2: I think winning that award <laughs> the other week was the greatest. Yes, yeah, so that was actually. I mean, every year there's this competition where any person doing a thesis has three. Minutes. You can enter the competition. You have three minutes to explain what you're doing to a, like a non-science audience. You can't use any science jargon. So I thought. I mean, I can't do that. My my project is very kind of abstract. It's so hard to understand for even other other physicists. So it was especially a big challenge for me. But actually, was at a point where. I was like so tired from home and I was just so exhausted and a little bit stressed out. And because I'm really nearing the end of my PhD, I really needed to inject a little bit of life into
0: my work.
2: Like I was feeling not so confident. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this competition. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I just need to be able to do this. If I can't get up there and explain confidently what I'm doing, I don't know why I'm even here. So you know what, I'll enter and I'll just try my best. And so I entered and I won. And it just blew my mind. It was just an amazing feeling.
0: How many people were
2: in the competition? It was one person from every um, discipline in science. So Mm. a biologist, a chemist, um, a physiologist. So there was like six of us maybe. And actually the next level is next week. So next week is the competition for all the other faculties. So I'll be the only one from science and there'll be someone from art and design, (laughs) someone from engineering, somebody from uh, medicine probably so that would be a little bit more challenging
0: but that was probably it was an amazing moment for me. Cool well uh, good luck with that and do you have any advice for someone like my Meirala who is 12 right now she's in middle school she definitely is thinking of uh, you know going into something STEM related any advice on what she should do in terms of schooling to you know increase her chances of success in you know one of these science or you know, engineering type of fields?
2: Sure. I think she's already on the right track. Cause I was going to say, like, meeting people and asking questions and finding out, you know, what it's like and uh, the path that people have taken to get there. I think that I kind of got into science very slowly. Um, I was kind of told I should, probably would be a better engineer. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a science degree, by the way. I just thought, you like math, physics, you should be the engineer. But I just wasn't happy there. As I went to some career counselors, I met a bunch of people, and I realized there's this thing that you can just study, like maths, and like that's it. And I thought I'll just do maths for like ever. And then I kind of got into physics, and all kind of came together for me. But one of the bigger moments, which kind of turned the course, I think, for me, was when I had this lecturer, and it was like the first female lecturer that I had had. Everyone was males. Everyone in my class was males. I was like a post-seminary girl. It was like I was very out of my depth, and so the first female lecturer we had, I kind of latched onto her. And not only was she a woman, but she had announced that she was expecting her first child in the class, and I was like, wow, you know, a woman, and she's got a baby, and she's a scientist. So I latched myself onto her, and she gave me a summer project that I did with her, and then that led into, eventually, an honors degree, because it kind of... And I'm actually doing exactly the same topic now, like that third year project that I kind of, I knocked on her door, I said, do you have any work for me? She gave me this project and that eventually developed into my PhD. It's probably going to be my life's work eventually, I bet. So I mm. think just latching onto people that aren't inspiring to you is an amazing way to kind of, like, I think mentoring is very important. Not even mentoring, just like meeting people and making relationships with people and getting good advice. That really uh, kind of put me through. So I would say, yeah, meeting people and asking questions like exactly what you're doing is probably one of the more important things we can do.
0: And you have got to be really good at math because the truth is that actually I started off as a physics major in college because I was good at physics in high school and I did two semesters of it and I enjoyed it, but the math at a certain point kicked my butt, so I switched to philosophy after that. But (laughs) I'm saying, being in physics, you got to just love doing math. Am I right about that one? Oh yeah, I mean that's why I'm here. Like I think the yeah,
2: yeah, babe.
0: All right, well, yeah, I think maybe, um, maybe my Meira has found her first mentor in uh, in this space. Um, and, uh, try to stay in touch along. Uh, yeah, sounds good. Thank all right, you. well, yeah, thank you yeah, so much pleasure. for joining us today. And it's actually, I guess, tonight for you it's all the a, way in Melbourne, not Sydney. Um, and we wish you a lot of Hatzlaffa, <laughs> a lot of uh, success in the rest of your, uh, you know, finishing up your PhD and the uh, contest you're doing next week. And we look forward to hearing more exciting updates from you.
2: Thank you, and it's my pleasure, and thanks for having me today.
0: Yeah, pleasure, and shana Tova. You too, shana
2: Tova.
0: Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And there you have it, the first episode of Jew in the Cities Season 2, Nahum Siegel Network Season 4, um, with my Lovely co-hosts Meira and Adina. So, girls, what did you think about um, co-hosting your first radio show? It was a ton of fun. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, so we will see you here, same time, same place next week. Have a great week.